0: You're on Team Human. Coming to you, coming to you alive from the Alchemist Kitchen in New York City's, well, what remains of New York City's East Village. This is where the conscious beats the automatic, human intervention in the machine. We are folding the fringes back to the middle a celebration of the deeply weird and improbable rise of human beings in the first place, and an investigation of whether we can keep this all going in the face of increasingly automated extraction, repression, surveillance, and control. It's time to design reality on our own terms. I'm Douglas Rushkoff, and you're on Team Human. Our guest today, the founder of somaspace.org, Dr. Mark Filippi. Mark will be helping us recognize the domains of human experience and expression, and sharing how this can help us restore our individual and collective coherence. You are not a number, you are a human being, and being human is a team sport. Insert pitch for help here. Um, We are a completely, entirely user-sponsored phenomenon. And we're depending on members. Currently through uh, teamhuman.fm, you click on a little thing that says support, and then you can subscribe to Team Human at all sorts of different monthly levels and get signed books and unsigned books and soon these Team Human trading cards. Of all the various players of Team Human that have uh, that have come through the, the studio over the last year or two, they're being made by Bob Campbell, who's here somewhere tonight. There he is. Um, so you can meet him, and and you're all you're all welcome to take a card with you when you go. You're of of whoever whatever Team Human podcast you may have enjoyed over the last year. You just take that person's card and enjoy it and trade it and it will go up in value. It's on the blockchain. And each one is part of an ICO of its own. Each card is its own blockchain. So you will have a total monopoly on all the value of that block and chain. God bless you. So what we wanna talk about tonight, or at least what I wanna start talking about tonight is, is time. Uh, I wrote a book a few years ago called Present Shock, and I wrote that because I was getting freaked out, really, by what felt like the lack of time in my life. I thought that digital technologies were going to make me more efficient and give me more time to slack. And instead, digital technology seemed to work the other way. So I was trying to figure out what went wrong with that, at at least for me, and it's funny, I tell this story in, in one of two ways. For, for regular people, you know, the regular kind of, whatever, n- normal audiences, I talk about Real Housewives of Orange County and how these women have all these communications breakdowns and how I tried to figure out why they couldn't communicate with each other. And what I realized was that they had put so much Botox in their faces that they couldn't make facial expressions that were consonant with the values and emotions they were expressing. So one of them, there was this one episode where one of them was talking about how her daughter was going to go in for cancer testing. And the other one said, oh, I'm so sorry to hear that. (laughs) And then they showed the first one all upset. Oh, she didn't really care. I could tell. And she couldn't care because she couldn't show care. And what I realized in that moment was in terms of technological application, what these women had done was they had used technology to lock down their face at age 29 and made themselves unavailable to the moment they were actually in. And as I researched time, I found out there were these two Greek words for time. One is chronos, which means time on the clock. What time did you crash the car? Right, 4.17. And there's this other word for time, kairos, which means readiness. Human readiness. It's sort of a, a timing as opposed to time. Right, what time do you tell your dad you crashed the car? It's not a number on the clock. It's after he's had his drink, before he's opened the bills, right? It's a human understanding of readiness. That's more Kairos. Now digital technology unfortunately ended up emphasizing Kronos instead of Kairos. It gave us a whole lot of Kronos, but it really robbed us of our, our appreciation, much less our experience or perception of Kairos. Now in the, it didn't have to. This is not digital's fault. When digital started, when I started at least with digital in the late 80s, early 90s, I was on bulletin boards, and they were asynchronous conversations like Usenet, if you've ever been there, or you know a, the kind of a, a BBS that you're on, where you, you, well, gosh, in the back in the day, you would you would plug your computer into a phone line with this thing called a modem, and it would you would dial into a server, you would download the conversation, you would disconnect from the line because you were paying money for the phone connection and the the online access, then you would read the conversation in your own time. And then you would decide over a period of hours, how do I want to respond? What paragraph do I want to write? And you would leverage time, you would compress five, six hours of overnight time into one paragraph that would take someone 30 seconds to read, but it sang because you had so much time to polish this thing. Then you'd plug back into the computer, you'd upload to the server, and then you'd wait a couple of days to see how people responded in this sort of chess-by-mail, asynchronous way of interacting with people that leveraged the asynchronous quality of computers. Digital technology doesn't live in time. It's sequenced, this, then that, then this, then that. It's lines of code waiting to execute, and they'll sit and wait forever. They're not in real time. Now, the problem with this was that people were having fun. People were spending all of this time without really spending any money. So the Internet had to be turned from something that gave us more time that gave us the ability to sound smarter than we did in real life. I mean, on the net, everybody sounded so smart. We were always scared to meet each other in real life because we knew... I mean, imagine the net as a place where people sounded smarter than they do normally. It's just so odd, but it was. <laughs> but it didn't make the right kind of money. The average internet-connected home was watching nine hours less television a week. It was, it was a problem. So what they did was they took the internet and really following Wired magazine's cue that we were moving into in uh, an attention economy, as they called it, they strapped it to us and have it buzz us and ping us and vibrate every time somebody tweets about us or updates something or SMSs us, and we end up living in this state of perpetual emergency interruption. It's the the kind of state that, that a 911 operator or an air traffic controller used to be, and only they had medication for it, and they only did it for four hours at a time. We live that way and pay for the privilege. So it's impossible for us to establish any coherence when we're constantly interrupted. And we think that if we don't allow ourselves to be interrupted, that we're somehow not in the present anymore, that we're not keeping up with what's happening now. And what I keep wanting to argue is that's not what's happening now. This is what's happening now. That is something happening somewhere else, sometime else. That this is the now that we're being distracted from, the Kairos we're being distracted from. The other big impact of digital technology on our understanding of time is the way it makes time seem almost generic. You look at your Google Calendar, and every day is Sliced and diced in the same way as if they're interchangeable, as if Monday and Thursday and Sunday and Wednesday are the same, as if next month is the same as this month. And you fill it in with all this stuff and you feel bad, oh, there's a blank space there, I guess I could fill that in with stuff, someone wants an appointment, I'll put that in there. And it gives you this this sense of inferiority because... Time in your real life doesn't work like that. It's not interchangeable. I'm tired this day. I have energy that day. And this week I seem like this. This week I seem like that. You know, the, the, the digital technology is used to optimize human beings for the marketplace, whether as labor or as consumers. And that means total interchangeability. The cookie cutter-like, you know, what, what Facebook is to the original weird uh, World Wide Web, digital time is to human time. Human time is, is strange. It has contours to it. And it's not just some weird woo, new age, you know, spiritual mumbo jumbo. Time really is not as, as crisply distinct and generic and, and uniform as our digital technology understands it or presents it to us. And that's the argument I wanted to make in this book. And as I'm trying to argue that from a a kind of a personal understanding of time, um, I meet this guy, uh, Mark Filippi, uh, who taught me that... uh, there's actual, it's funny to say it like this because usually I think of like myself as like the mathy, sciencey guy and you as the kind of more woo guy, but he taught me that there's actual science and experience and reality behind this understanding of time. I mean, maybe, maybe come on up. This is Mark Filippi, uh, who's a, a, a great friend and mentor. But oh yeah. But what what I what Hi, I face of science here. Yeah, well, it's kind of, this good. This is the face, exactly the new face of the face of the new science. Yeah, run away. Yeah. But what what I uh, <laughs> what I kind of learned from from Mark was that I mean most simply that not through astrology or any weirdness, but that most simply human time is sort of divided up into the phases of the moon, that in different moon phases, human bodies and human minds function differently. So the same way that uh, uh, farmers and woodcutters using... Uh, Rudolf Steiner's biodynamics to know when to cut down a tree so that its pores will be closed or open uh, when to harvest vegetables based on uh, real, the, the real magnetic pole of the moon and what it does to all of us and everything we can also reorganize our lives to understand and to acknowledge the waves the currents that are actually moving through our world all the time just as you know, to wake up in the morning and to go to sleep at night, just as there's seasons, and you know some seasons are better for planting than others, there's weeks and months and years that are better for doing certain things um, than others. And what what Mark has done, which is uh, incredible to me, is you know both through his own work and, and, and logging of, of many things, and his research, he's really put together uh, uh, some, some really different understandings of, of how time works. So, to start with, what I want to ask is to start really specific and then we can get into the general and weird, if, if we can go that way. Is so, the four phases of the moon correspond to four different uh, uh, human states?
1: Well, first thing, the enemy is uh, right here in the room, it's pointing at us, it's that light over there. Once we had an environment that we could artificially extend the day and into the night. We started living under these things. Uh, we lost touch. We we had a pastoral life a hundred and something years ago, right? And Edison went, "I got it." It's it ten thousand times, right?
0: Come to your mouth.
1: Yeah. To mouth. Holy yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. oh, oh wow! Go. I get louder. It's beautiful. Yeah. Uh, and society, everything, industrial revolution. You go back at that for. We became very clockwork in the way that we function according to external cues, right? Not internal cues. And little things like sleep, anyone get any, Um, being able to to recover from injury, all those things that now they're starting to talk about with athletes. Oh, he needs an off day. Well, really? Okay. We we became less connected to that sort of like almost like a grayscale, And we became on-off, very digital in our behavior because the technology overwhelmed the neurology. So that's the first thing but it says the moon thing like the squirrel
0: that's like 20- he didn't mean that that's literally the enemy oh, said so they're, they're, the they're they're covering the light <laughs> he was saying that the no, light no I forgive that-
1: you really turn back on. You know that,
0: that, that <laughs> but, yeah, but it's true human beings have used technology to lake. try to deny the natural cycles of nature since the well, beginning, whether it was fire letting us live in places that were too cold for humans, electric light letting us stay up at night when we should it, be sleeping it was more or efficient sleeping pills to go to sleep when you can't, and right. amphetamine to wake up when, you're, when you've taken too many sleeping pills, and Prozac to live when you 've taken pills to go up and down
1: it, everything you know, became basically about productivity, which is you know the next right. phase of things, right so. The squirrel that's out in the park you know, is very aware of, of basically a couple of things. They're predators, right? Where they're, hopefully they remember where their food is. And they are connected invisibly. I haven't interviewed many squirrels, but they're connected to the, the lunar cycles in terms of the way their body can grow, repair, things like that. So they understand it on an instinctive level. We have to get dialed down to intuition because for some reason the moon packs many myths because religion's adopted it, and a lot of things have basically bastardized it, but it's biological. It's up there, big piece of cheese, and it is connected to the way our brains relate to our environment. And, and our this is not is, right. Is, so yeah. it's not crazy, crazy.
0: that no. That it's like... I mean we know it moves waves around, right? That's not that's not theoretical anymore, right? We know that the moon it runs the tides all that. Yeah, yeah, it makes tides and stuff. So yeah. it's actually it's- doing stuff. Yeah, the science of
1: chronobiology actually goes to the when the advent of the astronaut, when they came back and they you know we started measuring the physiological changes and they aged different than us up there and all the things that gravity does that kind of basically packs in energy and allows us to focus uh, our attention on object X or y like there is no, like getting very general semantics yeah. early on, there is no chair there. I named it. All right? If I stick that thing out in the curb, it's garbage. All right? I renamed it. Right. So we're constantly oscillating between map and terrain. But that stinking moon, it doesn't subscribe to this map. Ter- it just sits there and does its job, basically programming us to be better earthlings if we listen to it. And what it's guiding us to do, it's giving us a target. It's, it's like, in my practice, my biggest goal is to help people find where up is. Because I'll just pick a random sapien here. Let's see. Uh, yeah, 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 with the shoes. Could you just stand up for one second? This is a little, little acid test because it's. Close your eyes and tell me if you feel both feet on the ground or one foot more than the other.
0: Okay. One foot more than the other. She's okay. Like, yeah.
1: One foot more. And you could see if anyone's looking at her, she's got a head tilt, she's got a shoulder tilt. She's got like four of the things she's not aware of. But when you close your eyes and take the visuals out, your proprioception, your body's sense of space, which is you know the analog of space-time, kicks in. You you what? You can relax. Okay. 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 Sorry, we're done abusing your, your nervous system. <laughs> all I'm saying is that we become so somatically sort of passive, as we became cognitively so amplified. We got they say it's all in your head. Well, you, you're not in your head. You're out there in thought, and you're not grounded. And that was the big. Wise so let's thing. go back. So yeah, there's so all these
0: creatures. There's kind of all, all this the nature. Side. All this stuff that's trying to. Figure mm-hmm. out how to grow and how to when yeah. to suck up water and when to open its leaves and close its leaves. So all of nature is looking for cues of one sort or another mm-hmm. for how to behave. The moon is a really easy one because it's up there, a it's common either,
1: target. Yeah. Right.
0: It gets it gets small, it gets big, it does it the same way, it's twenty-eight days, there's a cycle, all different kinds of processes and people and things wanna want to s- use it as a synchronization, as a yeah. way of syncing, and it has gravi- gravitational effects that's, uh, that's Im- impacting us. So then what does that do? Uh, let's get to the There's four phases of the moon, as yeah. we've recognized them. Right. Now, and you're saying that each one of them seems to be associated with a different... There's four basic
1: neurotransmitters that kind of guide and shape your behavior. And you, you've all been in the throes of them in the last 24 hours because we went from a lunar phase change today to a seasonal change uh, last night, I mean, and, uh, to a seasonal change today Uh, And it's very, you you guys, if you have any like kind of visceral sense, you kind of like notice this during the day, is that when you come out of a new moon, say, right, it was last week, Uh, the day after the new moon, your body's getting ready for the next phase, which is the quarter moon, which was last night. So your nervous system comes from being a whole week of anticipating the new moon, because the new moon is like being a cosmic orphan. It's basically at the bottom of the valley of the wave. And then the day after the new moon, it starts to rise up to calm up for the next cycle for the full moon. So halfway through, which was last night, we reached the peak of that, which is basically when our acetylcholine, which is all our... It's, like, it's almost like the backswing in golf. For the next wave, it's like... And you get up to the peak of that, and then all of a sudden, somebody hits the turbojet, and you get a big rush of serotonin, and you get super creative dreams, and your imagination runs wild, and that ramps up all the way to the full moon. So you go from having a lot of energy with not a lot of focus to having a lot of energy and a lot of focus in a day. And if you jump that and piggyback it on a three-month cycle of, of a seasonal change, all of a sudden now the environment just did the same thing as your brain. Peyote, mm-hmm. all right? And, and so for the next week, people are gonna be coming up with some pretty insightful stuff, right. and it's like they it's don't good, even know
0: why. It's just a little, you know? a little too confusing for me to deal with two waves at one time now. So okay. I want to go back. Just so what you're saying is there's a moon. Right. And we know that the moon has four phases. And you're saying that these four phases kind of comprise like a wave of some kind. Every
1: wave has four parts, okay? You have a valley, a rise, a peak, and a fall, right? All right, valley,
0: rise, peak, and, peak, and, fall. and fall.
1: Right. All right, so, so the four
0: phases of the moon, there's a valley. The valley is a,
1: basically when the new moon is at the, the – the night of the new moon is the is – The The valley. The, the depth of the valley. You're and down
0: then, then the moon starts going from nothing. Now the you moon, start seeing the moon it starts, grow to a half moon.
1: Right. It starts uh, and what waxing and waning, I think Waxing
0: is, is yeah. when it comes to, from yeah. and zero is to when half. It's yeah. Yeah. And that is your serotonin coming up. Your
1: serotonin kicks in about halfway up the hill. The first kick is acetylcholine, which right. is you're back to basically being instinctive and intentional, almost like a toddler exploring. All right. So, All right.
0: And so there's an acetylcholine week. Yeah. Then there's kind of a serotonin week. Right. It peaks. Th- then there's what week? Then the day after the full moon. We're this coming is the, down. This is the other. This is like right. the log film
1: with the uh, great adventure. You you either gonna go wee or white knuckle it, and that's your dopamine week. All right. Fun. It's recess. Hello. And all that pent up creativity. Everything was internal until then. Right. Now you're external. So so you you go out and you basically you're gonna celebrate or you're gonna cry in your beer for an entire week after the full moon. Uh, if you're in the emergency uh, so room, so that's your dopamine that's, time. your dopamine. that's your dopamine. And then what happens? And then halfway down that mountain, you're preparing for the value. You start applying the brakes, and the norepinephrine kicks in, which is your fight or flight response. So you come out of your little blissful dance, and you go, ha oh, ha. Huh, huh. Any predators? Okay,
0: all right, all so, you know. Right. So now these four. So there's four phases of the moon, and these four sort of neurotransmitters that seem to characterize it for us. So yeah. the new moon comes, we get acetylcholine, and we're like looking around. We're a little curious. Maybe that's a good time in our life to do what? Start a new project, meet some new friends, It's, it's basically a new notebook.
1: Yeah, it's like homeroom you know? in high school. Right. How, you doing? Right. How you doing? So How you it's doing? exciting.
0: Oh, cool. All, all right. right. So that's all good. So now the next week comes yeah. the serotonin week. And now you've got the energy. This is like, let's get a chapter written. It's let's it's do funny the work. Study the time. Yeah. Let's work. All right. So if I know that now, mm-hmm. so this is the thing for me. So once I know that, OK, that this second week of the moon is really the good work time. And that first week was way better for setting up my pencils and sharpening things and meeting people. Once I know that, OK, I've got to do some interviews with people to get ideas. Let's do those during acetylcholine week. right? And now it's, uh-oh. It's gonna be serotonin week. Let me lock up and get some stuff written. Bam, 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 bam. Right now, I'm going into dopamine week. It's a break. Let's good go rest. to par- let's party. It's right? party, right? now, this is when I do the drugs, when I party, when you, I you, you celebrate go to or, you, land, or, you, or you or you yeah go on roller coasters, do good stuff, and don't worry. Right now, if I'm right. Work, 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 work. And I didn't quite get done with that chapter, but I'm going into dopamine week. Do I try to squeeze out an extra couple of days of serotonin, or should I just go, it's cool, let it go, ride?
1: Well, this is where you get into rhythms within rhythms and waves within waves. Within a a single day, everyone knows I have a sleep-wake cycle, right? So 24 hours, of course, divides by four. So you have a six-hour interval. (laughs) This this is a recurring theme. It kind of haunts me. Um, So basically, midnight to six is your uh, norepinephrine night. Like, like your body is basically, it's a deep repair. It's protecting itself. If a predator comes up, you're going to wake up, but your body is, is it's completely biologically almost kind of in, in like an inert state. And then, coo 6 o'clock in the morning, the cortisol kicks in, and you're right back to family and surroundings and providing and protecting. Cetylcholine and, and, and time. Cetylcholine time. Right. So, and then you get to the middle of the afternoon, and it's time for the hunt. And you go out there and you're basically... You're, you're serotonin. you got to get creative because everyone else is doing the same thing you're doing. And then by 6 o'clock... Party. It's, just, it's party time. Put right. The, you put the beast on the fire. That's a day. Right. Okay? Now, right. that happens within an hour. 60 divides by four. Yeah. All right? And it happens within a minute... Another sixty. I mean, we had this is well. Like, it us happens within these, a moon, moon cycle, but it
0: happens within uh, within the seasons too. It happens within an eye blink. So spring, it, uh, but where spring are you paying attention? Is the spring is the acetylcholine time?
1: Spring is uh, yeah. It's, I, I, I can't I keep want to use my my terms, but yeah, spring is acetylcholine because it's renewal. You're starting over. It's more the backswing. Summer, you, know, you going to get worked. Summer, on? it's heat. It's growing season. Everything expands. Everything basically is is coming to fruition. Then the fall is the harvest, and that's that's basically, Halloween party. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's the past the full full moon. Now you're yeah. coming down the tree. Halloween basically is is a external analog of everything I just said. Right. Right. In the winter, of course, everything goes cold and, and, and goes underground, right. and you get back, you back down the bowling ball when it's over the, the, the In Next terms frame. of the
0: work weeks, if we're just talking about you know, using or, or leveraging the power of, you know, of these and Rudolf Steiner, Willem Reich-like insights in order to be more productive, because um, why not? <laughs> So we have that first week is the setting up our pencils and sharpening and meeting people. The second week is the getting all the work done. The third week is party. And then that fourth week, the norepinephrine week, is the weird thing. So norepinephrine, the fight-or-flight chemical, as you've explained to me, makes you get kind of cold and analytic. You
1: become very left-brained, very detail-oriented. You edit. You, you, it's but basically the week that you kind of like Trim the hedges and kind of like like polish things up because I used it.
0: I always used it to do my uh, down in the valley. I put note cards on the wall when I'm Mm -hmm. when I'm organizing a book. And for me, it seemed like that norepinephrine week Mm -hmm. that was really good for kind of figuring out what chapter, what thing is going to go in. Almost looking at seeing things in almost a skeletal Mm -hmm. sort of way, rather than you know all all confused by emotion and stuff.
1: Yeah, when you're in that mode, um, it it kind of lends itself again. Norepinephrine is the postsynaptic neurotransmitter. So acetylcholine is presynaptic. So I'm planning. I'm planning an acetylcholine, and then I act. And when I act, I'm going to get feedback. The environment's going to say something back to me. And if we're more coherent than the environment, guess what? We have what's called influence. Hmm. And if we don't, then we have to adapt. So we take our lumps. This is what evolution is. And it's the sum total of that process of I win, I lose. I win, I lose. Until basically I've, I've achieved some level of Uh, on the food chain of, okay, I can handle this set of conditions for this period of time at this intensity. And when you get pushed out of your comfort zone, like I think most of us have been in the last year or two, um, you have to tear up the map again. And that's why the squirrel's right. Moon doesn't care. So if you orient your behaviors, especially if you're in a crisis, especially if you're going through a lot of change and turmoil in your life, especially if you had a loss or something hit you sideways that you didn't expect, it's like the most... Probably the far away, the, the most difficult thing to do, again, we're, we're in our heads, uh, is to get here, the heart, the center, 60 times stronger than the brain, tune into that because this sucker is tuned into the lunar cycles because of the way the energy works. It, it, this thing gets it faster than the brain. The brain is basically kind of like a storage facility for good memories and traumas and things that threaten us. The heart has to act because it has two functions, organ and muscle. And it has a field around it. So everyone's sitting around like we're in traffic court here. Uh, you're in, in these big toruses that are spinning around you, 25 feet around your body. All right? And every layer of that is the same neurotransmitters played out spatially to see, do I know that guy who's, you know, 10 feet away? Like, if you go in the airport, you go, is that my friend? No, no, huh? is that my friend? Your brain is doing exactly what the moon is doing to you, only, you're, only now you're doing it the other direction to detect... Safety, that's the first checkpoint. Is this person safe? Do I know this person? Do I like this person? Do I want to talk to this person? Do I really want to? Can I leave now? It's like you go through that constant oscillation of connection, disconnection, all those things are basically kind of grayscale. We've convinced ourselves it's black or white. That's why we're red state, blue state. We're all all extreme because that has been programmed into our neurology every day with these evil things we covered. and to right, tell us to basically so, stay on all the time.
0: Right. So we we're we're in a, a and it's oversimplified <gasps> to even say it this way, but we're in kind of a four phase reality, a four phase nature that and they're competing. That's the best part.
1: They're all vying for our attention because when you develop your brain the first four years of your life, uh, how far are we from like the Build a Bear? Is that uptown somewhere still? The little Build A Bear floor you, you take your kid to the Build-A-Bear? Well, the way it worked when I was when I went to Build a Bear back before they, like, there was like social media. You take your kid in there, and you stuff the bear full of things, and they name the bear, and the kid creates its own stuffed animal, walks out, and then, okay, and then the bear sits there in the back of the car for 100 years, and you build the bear, right? Well, you build the brain, too. It takes you four years. Your neurology goes through this. This is a biological thing again. The first step is the whole first year of your life, your brain has one task. It's like, it's like we only got one thing to do, bond. Bond. I have to be safe. So you, you, you see the pictures, mother child. That's why this thing that you wrote about in the last couple of days. I mean, mm-hmm. when you get between a mother and a child, you are at the basically the Lego of the universe, right?
0: And right. This was in case you didn't. I did yeah, a piece did. about this the is, um, this is awesome about the whole the, the Trump immigration crisis. Was uh, I view it as it was for propaganda? That the whole purpose of it was to get pictures of Mexican and South American immigrants in cages, so that they're anchored in our in our mind and in our perception as animals, as refugees, as less than human. And that was the whole point of it. But the, when it backfired was when we got the sound. When we heard the babies crying for their mothers, that went deeper than the sort of uh, vision is a very objective uh, perception. So you can look at it. This is the picture. They're behind bars. It's anchored. But then when you hear the sound, it's much more intimate. It's much more invasive. And that's when it started to really uh, unravel for them. But the work has been done. And people still throughout, many, many, many Americans now think of immigrants the way we are we think of, which we shouldn't either, like refugees in the Middle East, you know, at, and and. Animals in in ASPCA commercials. I mean, and that was that was intentional. But it's back to labels again. If right. you
1: if you externalize and I label you, I'm not relating to you. I'm relating to the label. So I could completely dehumanize you. I could desensitize my thought to you. I could do like you did in the book, where the guys go in and they hit the silo buttons and they're dropping you know uh, you know the bombs a million miles away and they go home and have a steak dinner. You get disconnected, but of course it it does go away because guess what? The moon was watching. So the programming becomes repetitive for us, but the shift has to happen, I guess, is that at some point we have to separate the wheat from the chaff here and and realize that that first year of life, which is so important, and 70% of us, that's the clearest of the four years because mammals like to stay together, right? So you have this big bond. And then the second year, if anyone's had children, is the terrible twos, and they start saying, I'll do it myself, like him, see? And you start separating purposely to individuate. So you go from totally you, other, right? I must bond with you, you're the provider of all things good, mama, mama. And all of a sudden it's like, okay, no more mama. I'll do it myself. And mama doesn't know what to do with that, so you have, you know, th- this, this struggle goes on. The first two years of life is basically other than self, other than self. And at a certain point, the third year kicks in. You go, what's this other thing called the world? That's, and that's the environment. And so you start sticking your fingers in light sockets and eating paste and hiding under the coats at the mall and things like I did a lot. Uh, and you become more bonded to the environment than you do to self or other. And your boundaries are a little loose. You bump into people. You, you're a little... You, you, oh, sorry, man. And it's like you live in this kind of trancy state that's outside of that bubble of self and other. And that's really, to me, those first three years, which is kind of preschool stuff, is when they start labeling kids with delays. And No, they're just fishing for coherence, but they're not getting it. So they have to try to like cobble it together. And again, the big cycles that are long, like the seasonal cycles are some of the ones that are like, if anyone's sprained an ankle, or or, I got a lot of golfers now with their, with their, their hips and their knees, that's 500 days to repair that soft tissue injury, right? So, you know, I'll see you, you, know, like, you know, next Christmas or something. So these things, there's, there's long cycles and short ones, and there's ones that are instant, like the Kairos ones you're talking about, that could change, the, completely change the map overnight, th- and those are the things that we sit there and, and celebrate, you know, every September, things like that. Huh. Yeah, like, you remember what happened when? And the memory that you build up is front-loaded with a whole lot of survival keys, so whatever you're good at of those four choices and the four perspectives to take is the one you're going to lean to until you're 25. Raise your hand if you're 25 or under. I just want to see how is anybody under 25 in here. I saw one, one. one hand, one hand. She's still got some paint left. It ain't dry. All right. Two or three back. Because once you get past 25, you have an adult brain supposedly. All right. And you get five years of bonus time, like in soccer, when you don't know when the game's going to end. Uh, for 90% of your patterns to be hardwired. But your worldview was 80% myelinated in your little brain when you were four. So guess what? You haven't changed your mind in 25 years, all right? But it's changed you. And that's the, those things are happening. So by the time you get to the fourth year, and you're now you're precognitive, which you, you're kind of leaving, and I, I haven't mentioned the soma yet, but you're leaving the, the living body, the, the first-person perspective to get second- and third-person perspective to get you know, detached, concerned, analytical, you know, more, more rational, I guess, in the way you think, it, less intuitive. Um, before you get there, your system has to make that choice of, do I want the map or do I want the territory? And it takes you till you're 30 to figure out they're the same damn thing because you've labeled both. And that's why when you get into the conundrums like he's wrestled with, the paradoxes he's wrestled with over the years, digital, analog, all those things that seem like opposites, they're just yin and yang. It's the circle around them that binds you into that that loop, and then once you can separate that, then you you're in you're in the cosmos kind of mindset, and you get truth.
0: Right. So as long as we as long as we wow, broached it,
1: you're sort of saying whatever that second drink was. Yeah,
0: yeah. See, I so, know he had a brain drink. I had so a brain drink before. It's, kick, it's kicking in. Honey. I know, and we got good I know, stuff I'm, upstairs. I want to have a Little plug I wanna, for the, I want to have a conversation about this too. Wow. As you know, what, maybe we'll download one last one last. Uh, 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 section of, of of your Wikipedia yeah. uh, file. Um, so what you're suggesting, though, so now there are these first four years of life, and those first four years are are that same sort of rule of four, the yeah. same four direction. You're switching
1: and, perspective, right? You switch from, uh, and I'm going to start using my words yeah. because I'm getting, I'm getting a little.
0: But you're change. but you're basically saying that there are use these four your words, years, Mark. Right, and and <laughs> that each of these years. Th- Ends mm-hmm. up, well, one of them ends up kind of it dominating you. how we end up yeah. seeing the world. So either we're in that first year, which you call philo, which yeah. is. Yeah, your orientation
1: for- will shift. Like I said, again, you're back to mother child. Your, your, your somatic orientation, which is basically like an internal compass, all right, is going to shift from other philo. like I'm going to bond with my species, right? If it's me, you, and a, and a lion in the Serengeti, you know, the old joke, you don't have to run faster than the lion, you have to run faster than your friend. Yeah. Um, is that your team human, right? That, that first year, you're, you're not independent enough to do anything on your own. You need that other human being to protect you, feed you, clothe you, all that stuff, right? Second year, you're onto somatic. Your, your reference point is onto myself, all right? Screw you, onto myself. And then the third year you're eco somatic, you're more oriented toward the environment. And then the fourth year, exosomatic. I'm done with this Soma stuff. I've got a map. i figured it out. I have a worldview now. And now I will inflict it upon you for the next twenty five years. Right. So
0: exo an exo personality is more like almost like a systems thinker, a person who's looking well, at the schematic of, of they're the You're the lifeguard
1: world. at the pool, and they take the best of the three and they, they basically because again, once you're exosomatic, you you're much more interested in it's like Sometimes football coaches, oh, he's a systems coach. It's like you, you're, you plug people into the system. You don't care about the individual. Belichick, perfect example. He's an exo. So you, you become very much a slot filler. So you, your nervous system, because, again, you're precognitive. You're trying to be rational. You barely have a vocabulary. You don't have a lot of history, but you've got a map. And right. it's like and that becomes your guide. You're much more map-bound.
0: So then but but in terms I mean and, and on the one hand it could sound like a, a vast oversimplification of humanity to say, well, everyone falls into one of these four types of people. I mean, at least the engrams, there were twelve of them, right? Yeah. But but the idea is I think even though you have one sort of dominant uh, Worldview, or one sort of dominant lens through which you experience the world. There's all sorts. You, you, everyone has all the different flavors to different, extents. we're all mutts. Yeah, we're all mutts. But, but there's a dominant. Yeah. Now, now, just for the fun of it, though, maybe we, we can, uh, and to help people understand the difference between a phyla personality and an onto identity, and, a, and an eco and an exo identity. Well, identity. Identity. Yeah. Personality
1: is the shrinks Right. Identity Ident- Soma people. Okay. okay. We'll just take that... Yeah. That, that we'll, we'll the pick, pick like
0: <laughs> uh, uh, uh So uh, uh, Donald Trump is what?
1: Now, this is a trick. If, if I was going to give you four choices, which one would you pick of of him to be? Would you pick him to be basically all about others? Anybody? <laughs> hmm? All about himself? Hands raised? Wrong. So you would think he's the onto... You would think he's an onto, right? No. He's all about place. He's all about emotion. He's all about basically and I hate to say this because he's, he's not very coherent, he's empathic to the things he cares about, okay? So that's why you can, it's a, it's a very interesting thing with, the, with the, the domains because you could have an introverted, extrovert. all the labels that psychology uses to basically put people in, in the different categories. Everyone's here done a Myers-Briggs or some other, you know, disc or some other survey like that. What the domains are unique is that they stand on the up because we're all an amalgam. Now, is Donald Trump an eco, right? Okay. Uh, so if
0: you understand, though, that Donald Trump is an eco. He's right? so unstable. He's, so he's caring. He's, he's, right. Yeah. But he's caring about everybody else. Then you go, what is he doing when he's in one of those rallies? Is he drawing out his ideas? Is he, in, is he trying to impact them with his vision of the world? Or is he trying to reflect back to them whatever the hell it is that they're doing? And then you start to realize, oh my gosh, there's no content there. This is a phenomenon, this is something else. And then you can start to think, well, what is fascism? What is fascism? Is fascism telling the crowd how to believe or is fascism drawing something out? What is a salesman doing? Is a salesman selling his product or is a salesman reading his customer? And once you get that, it, it just helps you understand the world. I mean, and by, by the same token, um, Barack Obama. What was he?
1: Okay, Which, uh, we'll keep going. <laughs> There's only one is he on the, the train.
0: Is he the, the, the philo who wants to bond with others? or who, 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 Well, I'll give, you who, an,
1: I'll give you an example. Both Bill Clinton and Donald Trump are both eco-somatic in their, in their primary orientation, okay? If you put them side by side, you would never put them in the same room <laughs> personality-wise, right? But they both know how to work a room. Right? They both know how to basically be use car salesman and, and you know, like the consultant thing, take off your watch, tell you what time it is, right? They're both consummate at reading emotion. Right? Not necessarily giving away theirs, but they could read yours, okay? Transparently. And use that sort of like someone who could play, you know, really good poker face, like like like, uh, like Obama. Obama's an exo. So no matter what they did to Obama, what did he get? This flat. Eli Manning face, you know, he gave you nothing, and then he would go back and he would write some nasty thing, and it would go underneath. Right. So he was much more, I'll take it
0: in, Mm -hmm. and you'd see him. He was cool, and he had his map, he had his chart. He had his map. And his frustration, if he had one, was that people didn't see, don't you get it? This is is how the government works. He was much more
1: bound to the map, the word. Like an academic would be, or someone who's overly analytical to the point of being manipulative with it, right? And all all presidents have like, let's just call them healthy egos, right? Uh, it's just, you know. No, no. I'll, I'll W. We missed somehow. Poor W. So, George, George W. w I, is what? Oh, any guesses on W? Any guesses? All right. He was probably the most. It's almost like the Michael Jackson. We was talking about Michael Jackson before. He's he's basically a really really sad Philo that never got a pat on the back, that never got a hug, that never got a yeah. So he had to constantly prove himself to the point where he played out that thing with his dad all the way to being the president. See, you see, I'm better than Jeb. And it was all that, like, prove it, prove it, recognize me, hug me, hold me, and they never did. And
0: And meanwhile, um, Hillary Clinton would be... Watch this drive. Hillary Clinton Clinton would be be
1: witch. Yeah, well, you just said it, witch. Oh, sorry. (laughs) Uh (laughs) No. Yeah, she's... She's playing second base, guys. She's onto. She's onto. And because right? she's different. got
0: ideas, and she's she's there's a, there's a, a pointedness. I mean, she's I'm an onto. It's like there's a difference, guys. I, I'm pointing it. You know, yeah. There's the difference. If you're
1: looking at the two of them on the debates, right? Uh, crooked Hillary, I should be in jail. Like he's like a drunk guy walking past them on the stage. He's like, and Hillary's like. This is not the procedure, you know. She's more insulted <laughs> that he that he came out of his spot than what he said. What what's going on? I'm in control, and it's like she wanted like some grip to grab him and like mount him. Up. She's so folk. She's attached to her ideas. It mattered that she said it. It mattered that she did this, and so that's why <laughs> crooked Hillary. Any nickname, any little dig that he could get in there, he got her off her game. Complete. Imagine that. that I mean, you guys remember that the, the second debating so was maybe the second or third one where. She shows up, and 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 the TMZ thing had just come out. Mm. So what does Trump do? He brings in all of, of Bill Clinton's, you know, uh, uh, you know, Past- accused, accused, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and he has them dressed like like are Hooters waitresses, you know, sitting in the front row glaring at Hillary the entire time. I guarantee you she wanted to take a chair and beat them senseless with it, but she right. held herself back. So and that was the night that he said you should go to jail.
0: So I don't want to take to, to, too long on the, on, the, on the human domains, but Boy, just for the fun of it. Can't um, wait for the next debates. Um, uh, the Beatles, say. Yeah. Four Beatles, four domains.
1: Go around, yeah.
0: Paul is what?
1: It's cheesy Philo. Philo. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Lennon? I, I, I go, I go Lennon my... with the ideas is what? What's Lennon? Anto. Right, yeah. George Harrison, while my guitar weeps, this yeah. thing over here that's separate from me. I want to drop acid. With EXO the yeah. <laughs> and Ringo. Yeah, like Keith Moon.
1: Well, well, Keith Moon was more. Well, yeah, I could give Ringo a split because he's kind of file up because he's just as yeah, but he played the eco rocks, in the band. As but he was. As he was an octopus and all this yeah, stuff. I'll him yeah. that stuff. give yeah. But but the, the thing about that, hey, boy, we're really going deep here. We, we do the Stones. Um, <laughs> It's a Blue. It's um, when, you get, when you bomb with a band, all right? like singer-songwriter 70s, Billy Joel, people like that, the band was background because the, the star, Billy Joel Zananto, it's about me, but Springsteen, Philo, and he's called what? The boss. So it, it, the, the difference and the distinctions in the way they market these guys mimetically is amazing because Springsteen is an authority at what? All of his songs are about family, community, this, the, the working man, you know, the, the little guy, right? What's Billy Joe? I'm moving out. You know, it's like he's, hey, you know, I'm fed up with you. Heaven hell of your own life. Leave me alone. I mean, you can't get more onto than that. Where is he? He's up the street every month. Bang, 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 bang. The angry young man, right? So, and it's like that plays out over time. It gets more obvious the older we get because the primary domain doesn't change. That, that primer that's put down when you're building your brain in the first four years the secondary domains everything after 25 is more your social brain and that's where you get into the stuff that we're talking about with the social nervous system and ultimately how the society has to change to become more sentient again and less of this kind of like basically glowwormy thing that we're in now
0: right i mean then part of what's interesting to me is i mean and i know that 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 you could have a a perfectly fine living you know going like uh uh uh, almost like the the Long Island psychic or something. You'd go into big crowds, tell everyone, "Oh, you're a phyla, you're an Ika you're this, you're that." Oh, you're that. Yeah. I mean, people would love it. Oh, and Anto married to an eco. Oh, isn't that interesting? Oh, oh. You know, and people will line up. They'll pay a hundred bucks a pop to tell me what I am. Tell
1: You'd me have what to I am. kill me.
0: You know, and all that. So, but so it's interesting oh, and God. it's fun. And we could go through, you know, Lucille Ball to Mary Tyler Moore to everybody oh. and say what they all are. And it, oh. you understand in terms of casting, you can then take a Shaw player, a checkoff play and go, "Oh, Uncle Vanya, he should be an Ica, not an Anto." That's how we're gonna cast this and you can i mean so there's all these you know applications for it what what position you do you want an onto or an eco on first base versus second base where do you, so there there's all of those value in it but but for me where it gets more advanced then is the sense that well this is an eco interacting with an onto Yes. and then how do we you're all witnesses right then how does <laughs> how does that happen and something that you said which which i read it on your uh, on your website uh, a couple of months ago, just as I was finishing the Team Human book, and I was like, wow, Mark said that? Um, and I realized that, and this is where, and I, I almost, but didn't, I can't do it, um, dedicated the whole book to you for this. But I can't. I'm an onto. Yeah. It's my book. That's right. Um, dedicated Leave to me, me alone. To me. Yeah. No, I dedicated <laughs> it to Team Human, actually, to the to the team. But. Um, uh-huh. in my pre- pretense of being eco-ish uh, but no i have eco strains yes Ooh, we're all, I'm all nuts, so nice like said, we're all I'm... everything but the thing that got interesting to me was the idea of a so- of a living social fabric and there was you you were basically saying that look you may be f-ed up and all but there's all these other people around you who for whom you're f- upness is a problem. So even if you don't want to sort of clean up your act and become a coherent human being, understand that we're all sharing a nervous system, a collective nervous system, that the human collective nervous system, what I'm calling team human, but you would call more a a field or a nervous system, is a commons. It's not your own property. It's a commons. And if you're thinking stupid incoherent thoughts and acting in incoherent ways, you're polluting the whole nervous system for yeah. everybody. Well, it
1: it's back to science again. Right, again. But you are in the face of
0: science. You said it was polyvagal theory. Polyvagal
1: theory. Polyvagal theory. Vagal, we, vagal, vagal. Tomato, tomato. Yeah. Polyvagal theory is, is sort of a... a it's like the, the fleshy part of what I'm about to say. Bruce Lipton. Everyone hear Bruce Lipton? You guys? Okay. Another Rico that almost killed me on a mountain once, uh, driving down, trying to explain his research as we're driving down mountain roads. I'm like, Bruce, the road... I have two ecos coming down a mountain road. That's a joke. Uh, he figured it out, so biologists, that our identity is not in here. It's an airborne environmental signal, a vibration out there that only our little antennas on our cells can pick up like a radio station for one. So when someone says, I'm beside myself, yep, you're tuned out. It's like the static is coming in and your cells are literally not capturing that signal that's out there. It only exists... To be broadcast when you're alive. Do you mean out there,
0: like in space, or out Outer there, like space, interdimensionally, in or something? Space or in some the cosmos. It's <laughs> it's a, it's like, a, it's a but frequency. It's a quantumy thing. Not a no.
1: It's a quantumy thing, but it's a vibration that the cells use to orient themselves. That's how the cell becomes an organism. Cells, tissues, organ systems, and all the way up to being an organism, is by aligning those fifty trillion cells. The whole row of the boat to pick up that signal. There's that's actually a name for the the, uh, the uh, part of the cell and the antenna that does that. So the membrane, different than the noggin. Uh, is what is basically the intelligent part of the cell. Not the DNA, not the genes, not all that crap. It's the, the difference that separates the internal environment from the external environment. And if you can pass through that and capture your signal, you get really, really clear, very, very quiet. And you usually shut up inside for a minute, and you go, oh, that's me. And you have that moment. Like the when someone's recovering, like I have a lot of people coming through in recovery, and they talk about the moment of clarity, whatever... It's the same thing when you come out of a trauma, when you come out of anything that disrupts that signal. So I always say your, your whole life is a conversation between you and what created you. That signal was there. It's hard to get a little, this is Bruce talking weird stuff. That signal existed before you, you come into being, you tune it in, and then you give it right back. And it's out there for other people to tune in. That's how you extend yourself. So my emotional behaviors, epigenetics is the field I'm talking about here. So it transcends the genes. So behavior can imprint both vertically through priority and horizontally over time. So if, like, a couple of years ago, you know people, people were running around doing the ice bucket thing, right? And then people got concussions, and <laughs> it would sledgehammers, and it got a little goofy, and they went, we have to stop that. So next summer, they were shooting cops and things. And then last summer, they were turning over uh, uh, the revolutionary, uh, uh, the, what was it, the, um, all those um, the Confederate... Uh, uh, uh,
0: Oh, the thing. statues. Yeah, we
1: had yeah. that for a while. And then with Pokemon. So we always every summer, we decide as a group, this is the stupid behavior we're going to do to get through the humidity, <laughs> to piss off Al Roker, and get through the hazy hot and humid days. And, and so when we, when we have that, that epigenetically imprints on the next generation. So if, the more we become incoherent and good at it, that becomes familiar, and we get desensitized to it. So if every single day... I mean, I always think this is ironic... You, you you get like a, a, a an R-rated movie like um, uh, what was his name? Um, uh, a couple weeks ago, right after the uh, the Infinity Wars came out. What's the what's the what's his name? Okay, I'm gonna lose it. It, it. They basically made the movie R-rated for the fans that that they want to see it. What? Yeah, yeah. There you go, Deadpool. Yeah, all right, yeah, because the guy's cursing. Like like if and I said, you know, it's kind of ironic. You won't let the 17-year-old in to see it but they might get murdered at the movie theater you know, in certain neighborhoods, and if they flip on the news, in 10 minutes they're going to see something way worse that's real than they'd ever see to pay 10 bucks to go watch this goof around for two hours. And that, I, again, we're back to the map and the territory. What are we reflecting and what are we connecting? And the more we take responsibility for that, and as early as you can, because, again, it gets locked in by 30, 90% chance it's not going to change, and you're kind of like a dim light bulb on the Christmas tree unless you wake up and realize that your identity is an airborne environmental signal. That's scary when you think about that. The more you tune into other people, and that's why Bruce's research is much more about the collective than it is about the personal uh, history. To balance that, you have to get quiet. And it's the new thing that everyone seems to be attaching into now is, is in self-awareness, and it, it's kind of cropping up around here. Meditation, which was, I don't know how many, thousands of years old. All of a sudden, in the last two or three years, with all this noise, it isn't about run, run, run in the gym. It isn't about soul cycle anymore. It's about going in a room and getting quiet for like an hour and paying money to do it, which is really weird.
0: Yeah, but it's that's not a bad thing. It's
1: a great thing. I mean, Very, whether, whether or not you it. have to pay money Nap to do time.
0: it. I just time. Um, I just listened to um, David uh, David Lynch. Um, he has got this yeah. book, Catching the Big Fish, and he's actually got an audio version of it, so it's great to hear him kind of reading it, and it's all about meditation, and he... he I mean, he does TM, and I don't think it matters what kind one does, but right. he's basically talking about, you know, for him, meditation is about uh, all the pictures go off the wall, and you just experience the wall, you know, the self. But I guess yeah. to, you would say that that's, you know, you, you're able to kind of tune into who you are again.
1: You get, or, you get back into the, to the true connection that you're supposed to have. This one down here is malleable, programmable, transformative, and interactive, and very frothy. It's the white caps. The bottom of the ocean, very calm. So getting back to polyvagal, Stephen Porges, another great guy, uh, kind of piggybacks a little bit on what Lipton was talking about. And I have a special needs son, nonverbal, the whole Megillah. And I had to figure out really fast when he was a baby how to basically kind of have him understand that, okay, his heart came in with some holes in it, but his brain is up for grabs. And, and so we had to kind of basically use application, I mean, real-time application of, of Oh my God, Bucky Fuller, a whole bunch of stuff, to get my son to understand that he's not going to be able to talk back to people, but he has to be able to listen, all right. And in order to listen, he's got to get quiet. In order to get quiet, he has to be on his two feet. These things became—I don't want to call them religious—but they became like very much part of his life. Now, not we didn't single him out. Everybody does it. If you're sitting at—if at, at, you're a kid that has that has uh, asthma, and the kid feels singled out. And there's so many ways they they separate kids, right? But if the entire family does breathing practices at at the dinner table, if everybody does, you know, Tai Chi as a group, the kid feels like, hey, this is what we do. This is my tribe. I don't feel singled out, excluded, marginalized, labeled, and put in a corner. The educational system likes uniformity. So if you're the wingnut, they're going to get you out of there. And I never understood why they separated mental education from physical education. Why wouldn't they, Right. So it's, this is what they do. Yeah. So, so now we have an entire generation that's grown up to teach them to be faster rather than accurate. And it takes you eight seconds, eight whole seconds, to let your intuition well up to chime in with what your rational mind is going to say. So before you have that next argument, you know, they say, count to oh, ten. Don't, no, Don't even bother counting. Just deny your rational thought for a couple of more seconds. And you'll go, oh because something else will cross over that normally wouldn't get, the, you know, wouldn't get to the front of the counter. So polyvagal, and Stephen Porges, he said, we're all taught fight or flight. We're all taught that that's, that's our instinctive protection system, which is the norepinephrine stuff, right? Inside of the fight or flight, the vagus nerve, which is the longest cranial nerve, connects pr- pretty much everything all the way down to your guts from your head, uh, is regulating on two rhythms, right? It has the dorsal and the ventral part of it, right? And then there's another part of it that's, connected to your sympathetic nervous system that's basically the motor side of it. So the, the two sides, dorsal and ventral, are more sensory. One basically says, I'm safe, I'm social, I'm bonding with you. That's, that's more the vagus nerve talking to itself and saying, okay, stand down, we're good. Okay, everyone will come through. And then it goes into fight or flight where it will pause and say, do I need to fight this person or run away? Or if it can't do either one of those two things, it goes all the way down to the primitive part of the vagus nerve and it says, play dead and you freeze. And if you've ever been in a situation at work where there's there's a a big circle, little circle, where there's a a built-in hierarchy, and you go, you know, it's like your vagus nerve is traumatizing you to make you survive. And then you have to unfreeze. And the more you do that, the more you basically go into that social paralysis, you're going to label people. Because what's waiting for you over there is the map. And he basically took autistic kids and Everyone that had these developmental delays and just played them tones and gave them reasons to come out of their cave, out of their shell, and these kids lit up. So polyvagal theory, I use a tuning fork in my practice to basically give you a signal. I talked about the cues before. We're so wrapped up in tension. I mean, you got 645 muscles, 44 miles you know, of blood vessels, all this breathing 25,000 times a day, 100,000 heartbeats. Holy crap, how do, how do I even find my car? So it's like, if you had to think about all that stuff, forget it. You would just, you would just sit home and go, uh. so... The reason why it's so organized, the reason why it can do all of that is two things. One is memory. You don't have to remember your favorite color tomorrow, all like that. And the other is override. And if your social nervous system is so cute to be defensive, so cute to be withdrawing, so cute to be map biased and not realize it's a map, it's yep. okay to have a map. All right? And they're singing on that, that blues all right I have My map, right? Yeah. Oh God, it's all coming it's back Adora. to me. Dora. The Dora. It's yeah. all coming back to me. And if you can get back into the terrain and actually feel. All right. Now we've been working on her for the whole time. Could you stand up again for one second?
0: Yeah. Okay. She's an artist. She can she's do. She's an this. artist. She can do yeah. it.
1: Okay. Now, I don't know if you guys can notice it. Her her feet are symmetrical with her shoulders. She's almost like a little ladder here. Close your eyes and see your feet on the ground now. Get quiet. Yeah. She's still tilting her head. Why oh, she settled? How you feel? A little quieter. You're not. Just... Yeah. I knew you were okay. Have a seat. I'm just looking at your posture. Anytime you interact with within the 25 feet thing, so as soon as I saw that before, I started thinking about, like, okay, what's going on there? It, people's breathing patterns, same thing. The impulse to inhale would be, your intention would be your phylo phase, right? I'm going to intend, like, just focus on the next breath. This is like meditation for the, for the really, really lazy, right? My intention to breathe in, right? I'll wait until that crest, so I can't possibly think about breathing anymore. Then I have to do what? I have to breathe in. That's the phase, I act, right? Now I'm gonna have the intention to exhale without exhaling, wait, 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 and then whew, exo, and I let it go out. That little square breath pattern is like nine gajillion years old, but we're so, our attention so outside our breath that we're always chasing it on one side of the square or the other, and that that becomes why people get addicted to the state they're chasing, whatever way that square is in balance. And that's the difference between being aware and not aware.
0: So what I want to get to, though, is that that we are living. I mean, So that's the basis of of the work. So with that as the underlying assumption for how things are, we live in a world, and this is what I wrote about really through most of the 90s, where it seems like uh, government, corporations, the market, communications, education, religious institutions are all specifically designed to thwart our pathways to coherence. They're all about, oh, people are looking up to get going. So let's put the cross right up there. Or people, you know, oh, now they're looking up at the clock tower to the church. Let's put the clock up there with, uh, you know, with how long they're going to have to work for the day. Or they're looking at the TV. Let's start flashing images so they can't settle on anything. Let's do lots of fast cuts. Let's take their music. Take their music. For God's sake, this is the part that really always gets me. Their music, which is how their bodies got coherence, let's make MP3s out of it. Let's take it out of the speakers and put it in teeny little earbuds so they think they're listening to music, but they're not getting any of it at all. So that we're walking around in this world where it feels like almost every institution and every technology is, if not consciously, at least inadvertently, designed to to coerce us and control us by disconnecting us from these very fundamental ways of, of perceiving and interacting with our universe, with our reality, by making that whatever your little antenna, just don't. Let's just put enough noise that your antenna can't find the signal, that you lose your coherence, that you think that now you are the source of your coherence rather than your resonance with something else. If,
1: if the church can't control you, which is another way to get between you and, and that cosmic connection, right, to, to make it basically the church was the government for a long time, um, then I could do it by threatening your property, threatening your safety, anything that makes you focus local, and very limited and very narrow, the narrower I make your focus, which we were talking about driving down, we're, we're TV generation guys, right? So as our technology developed, what happened? The screen got bigger and bigger, it simulating the movies, right? Because we were so visually entranced by this television thing that we could not get a big enough image. We, we wanted it to be as panoramic as nature, right? So basically, we'd sit in our backyard, and go, uh, we, we were happy. IMAX, bigger, bigger, right? And all of a sudden, the next generation came by, we went, no, no, we want to be faster. So... All the images came down to the point now they're on a watch. You know, it's like, you know, so we, we have to narrow our focus, which basically makes us over-convergent, and it, getting a little technical here, it shuts off your pineal gland, your third eye, your intuition. You you become like a cyclops. You can't well, make decisions become, because there's no, there's your, no contrast your, your anymore. and your brain,
0: I mean, it becomes almost analogous to the traumatized. You know how they do for traumatized people? They do something called EMDR, where they yeah. move their eyes back and forth, and it helps, because, you know, they get that... that, that the thousand-mile stare is their, their eyes sort of get locked in. It's a traumatized state. And, you know, once you can really free your eyes left and right, you, you come out of that. But if we're doing that with our devices and staring in, then we're, we're, we're imitating a traumatized you're, state.
1: You're, you're basically, it's like overdeveloping the biceps or the triceps. You're basically pulling the eyes in, and you're not giving yourself any peripheral vision. And peripheral vision is what decides if you're safe or not. Because when you go into convergent, you're, you're basically in a predator state. I'm on defense. If I'm out here, I'm right. kind, of, kind of open focus, yeah. right? I, I basically I'm, I could be searching for food. I'm, I'm checking the terrain. I'm I'm open. I'm I'm not defensive, and I'm up, right? And it's like people that are anxious, they get stuck on the Ferris wheel on the breath up. They're up. They're tight. And the ones that are depressed are stuck on the exhale, and they're down, right? You see it all over the place. I see it all over the place anyway. And it it gets to be the point where it's like they're drugging the the reaction. To, to, the, to the tension. Instead of understanding that the person became coordinated in their own body, they could correct it themselves. And of course, then, then all hell breaks loose, right? Because people would start realizing that. Now, the the thing I was talking about is that the eyes are the key to this. So I'm just going to give you guys a little exercise to do because it, it, you're all, except for you under 25, you still have some room. Um, if you turn your head all the way to the right and turn your eyes all the way to the right, and then keep your eyes a little bit, try and find a spot over there and turn your head back to the left, this invisible hand will appear to push your jaw and stop you from turning your frickin' head because for years, every time something crossed your visual field, you turned your head and not your eyes. Your neck is running your eyes. Your neck can't see. I tell this every single day of my life, <laughs> your neck can't see, but if your neck is the periscope turning your head, you're just, you're just a bunch of candy apples, guess what? Your peripheral vision is going to collapse. Your central vision is going to become very limited. And that's why, you know, what is it, like 80% of us become nearsighted. I, like the, your vision breaks down over time because you're overusing that, that one tool to control this little space in here, which we've eliminated because now we don't actually meet with each other. We're just sitting there doing FaceTime. Except for my father who refuses to do that. But anyway.
0: So the... the
1: Text here. exo. Yeah. Okay.
0: We feel good hi, when da- we walk in... Hi, na- dad. We what? feel good when we walk in nature. Because we're starting to we we rekindle some of the sensibility, some of this what you would call uh, uh, almost a somatic relationship yeah, to the world. Yeah. Anytime you go outside, I, I don't care. I mean, because you don't have to understand no. what we're talking about to restore your coherence. Remember Soylent Green? The end of the movie? People. It's people.
1: It's people. It's people. Yeah. They're eating the people. But they put the people in a thing and they show them yeah. what nature scenes, waterfalls, all kinds of like archetypal stuff right. to make them relax, make them feel safe. But the funny part, I always ask people, I have a big map of the world in the office and I, I'll just take a random tax. I, I said, I'll put it out in the middle of the ocean. I go, Do you know what's going on in there? You think it's all peaceful and happy? All harmony? No. Fish eating fish, eating fish, eating fish, eating fish, eating fish. It's violent as hell. But we're, we're, oh, the ocean. So we have this very, um, the same thing with space. You know, oh, oh, space is all peaceful and celestial. No, no. You go out there, you get freezing. We're what happened to Sandra Bullock. You know, it's like, it's not good out there. So it's like, the environment doesn't care, just like your neck can't see. We have to put our consciousness into it to give it meaning and then extract that meaning back to ourselves down here on planet Earth with, in the trophosphere with all the other humans. We've, we've almost, in a way, kind of, kind of hallmarked nature to being, to being the peaceful place and society being the violent place right as if civilization was a big mistake no civilization was a way to adapt to that crap out there otherwise it's basically you know the, the elephants would have stomped us to death so it's like it's like no no we had to have a way to do that but now that we're here now that we're here and we have awareness of this stuff now we got to go back and do the rest for everybody else and that's like i said that's why when you disassociate and you become uh, in, in NLP, they'll, they'll, they'll call it, uh, you, you become disassociated visually and you, you're feeling shut off. Uh, your system has to kind of like go through another trauma to come back. And that's, I deal with a lot of that with EMS workers that, that they call it verbal first aid. And the first thing you say to somebody who's coming out of one of those things is, the worst is over. And if you, I, I have that, I don't know how many rooms in my, in my house, the worst is over, the worst is over. It's like, because if you say that, like you're in an accident, the guy's sitting there, his legs over there, his arms are, don't worry, the ambulance is coming, the worst is over. They'll literally, like, their blood vessels will start healing right there because they know that they heard the command that the trauma is done. Most people, the trauma begins after the physical accident, after the, the, the death in the family, because there's nobody to get them out of that, that turmoil. And they resort to the meds and all the other stuff, except for Woody. What are you still talking? <laughs> yeah.
0: I want to uh, I want to open this up to 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 our, uh, our our guests, but I'll remind our listening audience: you're on Team Human, coming to you live from the Alchemist Kitchen in New York City. Our next live event will be in London on July 9th. You're all welcome to come um, with Pat Cadigan and Rupert Sheldrake. Then in New York on July 19th with Parker Posey, the uh, actress and author of a new book. You're on an airplane. Anyone who is a Team Human subscriber at any level gets to come to any of these things for free. Yay! Um, And many of you who are here now are here hopefully for free. If you didn't know to put in that secret code in there, then you paid. But this is a good thing to pay for anyway. So thank you for doing that. Um, But yeah, but Team Human. And we've got, now we have the Team Human trading cards. That are gonna, we're gonna figure out how to make these part of the premium. Maybe you get a card a month or 10 for this or pick the cards you want. Um, there's gonna be all sorts of fun premiums. And we're even gonna have a, a, a premium where uh, you can ask a question through a little button that we're gonna have on the website. And then I'll do a whole monologue that's answering or, or somehow trying to, to contend with that question or topic. So we're gonna do some, some really fun things. But first, we're going to come out to you with our special... Where's our mic? Watch this. Hello, Team Human friends. This is Stephen. Thanks for listening to this week's live edition of the show recorded at the Alchemist's Kitchen in New York's East Village. If you're enjoying this conversation, there's more. Become a subscriber and supporter of the show via Patreon at patreon.com teamhuman. There you'll find the complete, uninterrupted audio of this conversation with an audience question and answer session. Your support really means a lot to us. It goes a long way in helping us produce this weekly show and helps us produce live events like the one you're listening to today. So thank you so much. Again, that's at patreon.com teamhuman or teamhuman.fm support. My name is Stephen Bartolome and I'm on Team Human.